It's my turn. Amen. Good morning, church. Who's excited to hear from the Lord this morning? Amen. What a beautiful day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing and we are glad in it. Amen. Amen. So we have uh, some announcements for you this morning. Again, thank you um, all those who are online with us this morning. We are so glad to have you. Welcome to Home Church of the Nazarene. My name is Pastor Carlos and we are going to be blessed this morning with some awesome things. Uh, first announcement, there is a foundry material. Who, who still reads the foundry? Can I get one person to give it up for the foundry this morning? The found, that's a good material, right? The foundry, amen? Okay, I got one. Okay, I got one. I got one. Foundry material available in the missions area of the foyer. If you have any questions, see Miss Doris Allen, please. There will be a church vote on March 7th for all active members, 15 years and up. Uh, we will be voting for the new board members and district assembly delegates. Um, this is very important. Please jot this down. Voting will be before each service and after church. And then there's going to be a drive-up option for those who aren't meeting in person and that drive-up option is going to be uh, between um, 12 p.m. and 2 p.m. So you have uh, a two-hour uh, two time period uh, window where you can, you can roll up and do it safely, get your vote in, let your voice be heard, and uh, be a part of what God is doing here at Home Church of the Nazarene. Amen. Uh, let's see here. We are having a mini Women's retreat, um, yes, on March 20th. I'm not even a lady and I want to come. This thing is going to be off the hook. Uh, March 20th, which I'm not, I promise. Well, actually, no, I, I am going to be there. Uh, uh, if you haven't heard by now, his piper is going to be doing some worship. Yes, amen. Uh, so whether we have 10 women here, Five women, 20 women, 50 women. We're going to be worshiping the Lord, and it's going to be amazing because God's going to be here. Amen. Uh, 10, 10 o'clock to 2.30 p, uh, p.m. Uh, to attend in person, it is going to be $20, and to participate online is $5. I might just do it online. <laughs> Five bucks. Um, registration is due March 7th. And uh, money is due March 14th. Uh, if you have any questions, please talk to uh, the most beautiful woman in the world, Ricky. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, can I get a drum roll? Uh, now for some exciting news. The church board and I have decided that it's... No, Ricky's not pregnant. Okay. Uh, <laughs> But the, the church board and I have decided that it's time for a little TLC. It's time for some remodeling. In, uh, so before I get into the financial part of all of this, uh, I want our church to know, thanks to Mike McDaniel, thanks to our board, thanks to you um, here at Home Church. Uh, our church has paid 100% of our budgets that we will pay for the District and World Evangelism Fund. Amen. Thank you, amen. Praise be to God. And we are 100% debt-free. 
So when it comes to the uh, remodel, we want to give God praise because we will not be going into debt. And here's the cool part. We're not going to ask any of you for money. Oh, thank you, brother. Thank you. Please do uh, honor the Lord in your tithes and offerings. Uh, yes, please. Amen. Amen. Um, so we're going to be updating our foyer, uh, our children's area, our library. It's going to be turned into like a little, like a little fellowship area, coffee shop. Um, this will be done in phases. Oh, and I forgot. Hold on, ladies. Women's restroom. Yes. So um, we'll be doing this in phases. And uh, if you're interested in helping out with some of the labor, uh, please let us know. And if you're interested in the current, in the current state of our church, uh, we're going to be having uh, what you call an annual church meeting. Who remembers those? The annual church meeting. We're going to be doing an annual church meeting. And um, to, to let you know wh where our church is at financially, uh, how we're doing uh, spirit, you know, spiritually, the, the ministries that we're going to be doing, the, the plans we have, where we're headed. And uh, I'm so excited uh, for this. So that will be March 14th. Put that on the calendar. March 14th, annual church meeting. Uh, we'll be Zooming in um, a few of our board members and our And so I would, I would ask if you could be there, and uh, this will be after second service. So March 14th, after second service. So that is all the announcements I have. Uh, kids, y'all ready for Miss Anita? Let's all come down. Let's give it up for Miss Anita as she takes the stage. Amen. Knock it over. <laughs> Have you ever watched a kitten bat at a ball of string or seen a puppy, a cute little puppy, run after a ball? You know, those little fat little legs are trying to keep up with the rest of the body. How about have you gone to the zoo and seen an otter twisting and turning and sliding in the water and seeming to have so much fun? Just like you, animals like to play. How about a baby horse? Have you seen them play? They kick their legs and they like to take a stick or a rag and shake it in their mouth. They really enjoy playing. And the kangaroos, they like to play fight with their moms. And there's even certain fish that will jump over turtles and jump over sticks floating in the water. But the dolphins are the best known for their playfulness. When you go to a show at the aquarium, they really put on a display. But even in the oceans, you can see the dolphins playing. There's certain dolphins that'll jump in the air and they just flip and flip and flip and come right back down. 
and other dolphins will jump in the air and twist around and go right back, crashing into the ocean. Did you know that crocodiles like to play? Scientists have watched crocodiles blow bubbles through their snouts. And they also playfully snap at waves in the water. They've also been known to grab at flowers on the shore and carry them downstream. Scientists believe that animals play for different reasons. Sometimes to play, to practice life skills like mom and dad teach you guys. Sometimes to talk to each other or the best reason of all is just to play in God's creation. That last reason is the best reason of all for us, kids and adults, to just take the time to relax and play. God created this world for his people, not only to live in and take care of, but also to enjoy. God didn't have to make flowers in so many different beautiful colors, but he did. He didn't have to create water puddles to jump in. He didn't have to create trees to climb or hills to go sledding on, but he did. And he didn't have to make so many delicious kinds of fruits and maybe even vegetables. Uh-oh, that's a wild vegetable. But you know what? He did. He created them for you. We need to remember to thank God for all the wonders of the world that he has given to us. The beauty and the greatness of his creation tell the world that God is his creator. It's his creator. Open your eyes. Open them wide to see all and open your hearts to enjoy them. God's creation is marvelous. No matter where you live, you can see God's glory in the things he has made. If you look and listen, the message is loud and clear. Ask the animals, and they will tell you. Ask the birds of the air, and they'll teach you too. Or let the fish of the sea tell you. Those verses are found in Job chapter 12. Take time to enjoy all the wonders of this world that he has made. God has given us sunshine today. Let the animals teach you a thing or two. Take yourself and your family and go outside and relax and just play. Have a good week. Let's give it up for Miss Anita. Amen. Thank you, Miss Anita. We love our Sunday school teachers. Um, we so appreciate you this morning. Amen. Let's all stand this morning. We're going to get ready uh, to worship with our uh, finances this morning. <coughs> Hallelujah. We want to say thank you for uh, remaining faithful. Um, we do have a tithe box here. Uh, when you walk in to the right, it's a, it's a little box just hanging there. Uh, you can drop your tithe and offering 
in there. You can put your name on this and uh, uh, the amount and anything else you want to give to, you can, you can jot down on there. Uh, it's the least we can do, give to him, amen? It's the least we can do. Um, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, you are worthy of all praise. You are worthy to be worshipped with song as we lift our hands, as we clap, as we sing, but also with our hard-earned money this morning. Our money that is, is, so, is so hard to let go of sometimes. Um, Sometimes it's easy to spend on the things that we want, but Lord, sometimes it's sometimes it's, it's a little more difficult uh, to give to something. We don't know what's going on. We don't know, but Lord, I pray that you would remind every heart that as they give to your kingdom, it's it's going to your your house, your church, your body to reach lives, to save hearts. It goes beyond just the material things that we can get. This is for the eternity. This is, this is eternal. And I pray, Lord God, most importantly, that we would trust you, your word, and obey what you would ask us to give. Bless each and every gift, each and every giver, Lord, this morning. Um, I just pray a special blessing upon those uh, who step out in faith this morning and uh, give to your house. And I would also uh, rebuke the lie of the enemy that would cause fear and doubt. You've never lied. You've never let us down. You say in your word, test me this morning, Lord. We, we hear you. We're going to obey you. We thank you. Bless all those online who are giving online faithfully, all those who are uh, sending in checks this morning, Lord. Uh, bless them, Lord. You know who they are. Have your hand upon them as well, Lord. We thank you. Be with us. Be with Matt as he preaches your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good morning, church. Who here has been set free by the blood of Jesus? Say amen. Who here has been delivered from bondage of sin? Say amen. amen. Sing with me. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Through my shackles in the sea. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Jesus is my liberty. Glory.
special prayer this morning before we before we go into this next song as our brother continues to play some music uh, in worship and and we want to we want to pray this morning um, for a dear sister of ours who's uh, who wants to go see Jesus and uh, this morning her dear friend Linda McDaniel has a beautiful prayer here that um, I asked her um, and I would, I would uh, speak on her behalf so we can bow our heads this morning. Most precious Heavenly Father, we just come before you to ask for your special blessings upon Lori, Dell, Amy, Angie, 
Alyssa, and the family. We pray for comfort, for Lori, and for strength to rest on Dale and family as they make this journey with Lori. May your mercy and grace wrap around them. May they feel your presence and peace. Lord, we're thankful that you love them. We're grateful and blessed to have them as friends and ask you, Heavenly Father, to be with them in a mighty way. We ask this in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. Amen. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I'm in your love. So no matter what you're going through right now, I've been, I've been beside a lot of people when they're getting ready to have those, 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 that, last, that last breath. And it was a beautiful thing as I was with Lori. She says, I, I'm ready to go. I don't know about you, but I want to be ready to go. So when we sing this song, worship him. This is not just a song. It's just not a cool song. It's not a cool vibe. This is a, a song of praise because we serve a God who died for our sins, who, who resurrected from the grave. And when we die, when we pass away, we are going to see him and all those who have gone before us. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. Amen. When darkness tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own when brokenness and pain is all I know Oh, I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken And my fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I
chance when I stand in your love. Can we give them praise this morning? Thank you, God, for all that you are to us. Can I just say something real quick? I'm really, really thankful for this worship team right here. Um, can we give them a hand? Um, with my uh, crazy work schedule and everything else, they, these guys have been coming in on Saturdays, practicing, being flexible. Lynn, I see you out there. Ron, everybody that's on the team, thank you so much. As we go into this next song, let's worship God with a thankful heart for not only who he is, but what he's doing in this church and in our lives. Amen.
time in my father's house there's a place for me someone here this morning who feels that they are not a child of God that they couldn't be good enough to come into your house but this morning we we cast out the lie of Satan that want us to believe that because this morning we are adopted into the family we are children of God and we thank you for the ability that we have to come into your house and to worship you to praise you to hear from you God, I pray for a special anointing upon our brother Matt this morning. Lord, as I was looking at the children, looking at Miss Anita, my mind went back to many years ago when he said he was here listening to her and what you have done in this young man's life. God, I pray this morning that you would anoint him, give him uh, uh, confidence not in himself but in you. Speak to our heart. Change a life. We pray your blessing upon this service in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. So with, uh, man, I could be up here all morning talking about all the, the amazing things that God has done and uh, this brother to the left of me. But um, forget that. Let's just give Matt a hand as he comes and takes the stage. Amen. Good morning. You guys hear me? I'm not good with wireless mics. I've never <laughs> had this on before. So if you don't know who I am, uh, I am Matt. I am one half of our youth group leadership. Well, 65, 70% of our youth group leadership. And uh, I just want to start off by thanking Pastor Carlos for giving me the opportunity to speak God's word into your lives. Um, the trust that he has for me. He didn't even look over the sermon. <laughs> and Obviously, thanks to God who has been working in my life and my wife's life so incredibly over the last year. Um, I texted some of my friends my notes and said, hashtag nobody saw this coming. <laughs> so we're going to talk today about keeping your path straight. The title of the sermon today is Make Your Path Straight. And Amanda and I, when we teach the youth, we teach something that I want you guys to all understand, this book is a unified story. It comes as a collection of 66 individual books, some kind of library, but there's a unified story front to back. So we will be flipping a lot today. If you have your Bible with you, or if you have your Bible app, get your thumbs ready. We are going New Testament to Old Testament, back to new, back to old. So <laughs> we're gonna start off today with Matthew chapter seven, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, 
For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. I want you guys to take a picture of a wide gate and a wide path and a narrow one. If you have a broad path, you have a lot of flexibility to move around. As that path narrows, as it comes together, you have to stay straighter and straighter. The enemy does not attack us spiritually with 180 degree pivots. I don't think anybody has ever gone to sleep worshiping Jesus and then the next day woken up and erected an idol. The Israelites took 40 days before they built one. The idea is that you make it one degree at a time through simple, easy, and what we would think are harmless compromises. This broad path that leads to destruction, there's another name for that that we talk about, which is hell. The narrow gate that leads to life, there's another name for that that we talk about, and it's heaven. So the question is, how do we keep our paths straight? How do we make sure we stay on a narrow road that can lead us all the way through to life? So we're going to illustrate this by going to 1 Chronicles, chapters 13, verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to skip a little to 7 to 10. But I have to give you a little bit of background. So there is what we call the Ark of the Covenant, and I assume most of you know what that is, at least from Indiana Jones. <laughs> In the book of Exodus, the Israelites are wandering through the desert. They come to a, a mountain called Mount Sinai, and God makes a promise with them that he makes as a contract. They make ten commandments, they put them on some stones, and God commissions a box, essentially, to be built put the stones in it, and this is now going to represent not only God's promise to the nation of Israel, but also his presence. When they marched around Jericho, the ark led the way. When they get to the Jordan River to cross into the promised land, the ark leads the way. And that is because at this time, God's sovereignty was leading Israel. We're going to pass through the book of Judges, and we're going to come to the point where Israel asks for a king. God says, I should be your king, but they say, we want another one, so he gives them Saul. Saul loses the ark in a battle to the Philistines, and the Philistines keep it for about seven months. They transport it around, but everywhere they take it, the presence of God, who they do not worship, is in them, and they experience tragedy. So they give it back to Israel. They give it back to Israel with a bunch of gold. They say, please, take this back from us. We don't want it. It's been causing us nothing but barrenness and cancer. And so Israel takes it back, but they don't honor it. They lift off the sheet that is covering it, and 70 people die. And in the fear of the Lord, they leave it in a little village that we hear about twice in the entire Bible. <laughs> so then Saul dies. King David takes over. And this is where we are in the story. So chapter 13, starting at verse 1, then David consulted with the captains of the thousands and the hundreds, even with every leader. David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is from the Lord our God, let us send everywhere our kinsmen who remain in all the land of Israel, also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their cities and pasture lands, that they may meet with us. 
and let us bring back the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. We're going to unpack this a little bit. So David says, we need to get the ark back. And this is a crazy move for David because what he is saying is, I want the sovereignty taken from me and my human self, and I want to put it back in God. I want to bring God to our capital. I want the presence of God to rule for me, through me, as opposed to me ruling individually. So what does he do? He gathers all of the leaders, leaders of thousands, hundreds, says every leader. And he talks to the assembly of Israel, and he says, if it's good for you, and most importantly for this, if it is from the Lord, we'll bring back the ark. The assembly all agrees. They've obviously consulted with God. They want to bring the ark back. We're going to pick this story up in verse 7. They carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all of their might, even with songs and with lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals, and with trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Chedon, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark because the oxen nearly upset it. The anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, so he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. So what's happening here? They get a brand new cart, right? They're not dishonoring God and throwing it on something old. They get a new cart. They're bringing it over the oxen trip, and Uzzah is now faced with a really bad choice. Do I touch the ark, which isn't allowed, or do I let the ark fall onto the ground? And he grabs it. And I think most of us in here would think that that's the right thing to do. And so when God kills him, there should be a little bit of injustice growing in your heart for a minute. And if it isn't, you can read the next verse because David gets angry with God. So it's okay. It's okay to feel this little bit of injustice, but there is a reason that this happened, and we are going to look at what did David do right. (laughs) We're going to break all of this down because David did a lot of stuff right in here. First of all, he consulted the leaders. He went in front of the leadership. It'd be like Pastor Carlos going in front of the board and said, what should we do as the nation of Israel? I think we have this idea, and they all agreed with it. He consulted God. He went to God and said, if this is right in your sight, I want to bring it in. And most importantly for this, he had the right motives. He didn't say, I want to bring the ark back to glorify me. He didn't say, I want the ark back because we uh, want to point out that I'm a great king who managed to bring the ark back to Israel. He said, we want to bring the ark back for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. We did not ask what God wanted us to do when Saul was king. But obviously somebody died. So we have to ask ourselves, what did David do wrong? And what David did wrong was that he forfeited the knowledge of scripture for culture. He said, I want that ark back quickly. He said, I have a brand new cart. I have strong oxen and I can roll this thing through. Well, if you go back to the book of Exodus, when God commissions the building of the ark, they still have a lot of traveling to do. Uh, about 39 years. And God doesn't say, take the ark and carry it through however you'd like. (laughs) Whatever seems good to you, move the ark, and my presence will be with you. He gives very clear instructions. Put two wooden poles through it, put it on the shoulders of people of the tribe of Levite, 
and have them move the ark because they are my representatives. So David did something that seemed really harmless, right? He had the right motives, he had the right intentions, but he forfeited scripture and said, I'm gonna go with what my cultural idea is and I'm gonna move the ark and as a result, somebody died. So the question is, when you get off this path, when you get off of that narrow path, how do you get back on it? So I think I actually forgot to send this verse into the slide, so I'm just gonna speak this one a little bit more slowly. But David goes back to scripture. If we go to 1 Chronicles, we move to chapter 15. It's verses 13 through 15. He's talking now to the people of the Levite tribe, and he says, because you did not carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. Notice he's not blaming God anymore. We did not seek it according to his ordinance. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, God of Israel. The sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles thereon, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. This is what David did. He got off the path. He varied by a single degree, and he said, I have to use scripture and the word of God that is available to me, and he brought himself back. This should be a little concerning. <laughs> there is so much that we can do to get off one degree when we forfeit the knowledge of scripture for culture. So we're gonna ask ourselves, how easy is it to be led one degree off? We're gonna flip now to the New Testament. If you would go to Galatians, we're going to chapter one, verses six through nine. Now, Galatians is a letter to the people of Galatia. <laughs> the first five verses of this book are an introduction. He says, my name is Paul, I'm an apostle, grace and peace be with you. It's basically saying, dear Galatia, comma. <laughs> Immediately after the comma, this is where he gets into. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Amen. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. We need to break this down a little bit too. What does he say here? I am amazed that you were so quickly deserting him for a different gospel, which is not even really another gospel. So these are people who live in the Mediterranean, right, in Greece and at this time Rome. He's saying they didn't come back in after him and say, hey, forget this Jesus cat. We're going back to Aphrodite. We're going back to Athena. They're just changing the gospel. He says, these are people who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So imagine that this is not a desire to destroy the gospel of Christ. They are changing it by a single degree. They are just creating a distortion. And what Paul says should speak wonders to us because he says if we, meaning the apostles, or an angel from heaven comes down and tells you something that other than what you received, he is to be accursed. If any man, if Pastor Carlos, if me, if anybody gives you a gospel that is not what this book says, 
he is to be accursed. Now, we have received a gospel. Most of you probably have one on your phone. You can find these pretty cheap at Barnes & Noble, too, if you get the right translation. So the question is, how confident are we in the reception of this, that we can recognize these distortions? And I want to put something in, in perspective here, too, because I think we tend to put an idea that this distortion of the gospel is a modern problem that we face with. The letter of Galatians, according to most scholars, was written in the late 40s or early 50s AD. Some people have put it as late as 60. That means that the distance of time from when Paul has to write this letter to the actual, in the flesh, preaching and ministry of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, was as far from these people as September 11th is to us. There are people who are walking around who remember Jesus. There are people walking around who saw him crucified, who saw him raised, and can remember what the Sermon on the Mount said. And already we have a distortion. These distortions aren't present problems for the Christian church. They are a problem that the Christian church has a tradition of fighting. And that's what I need you guys to bring in, is to fight these distortions so that you can stay on a narrow path and avoid a broad path that allows you to wiggle around. So now we have to come to the other question, which is, how can we correct our own course? We're going to flip backwards a little bit to Acts. We're going to chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. Now, we're going to give a little bit of backstory here. Um, Paul and Silas have been on a missions trip. <laughs> They're going through the entire Mediterranean, and they are bringing the word of Jesus. And they have a very unique way to do this because of Paul's training. He was going to be a Pharisee. They go into Jewish synagogues. They pull out scripture, and they say, hey, you've been waiting for this Messiah. It's Jesus. Look at all of these. And so he uses logic, and he starts converting people. Well, in Thessalonica, he converts a bunch of people, and a lot of the Jewish people don't like it. So they raise up a little mob, and they chase them out. And that's where we come to. So he's already preached to Thessalonica. He's been led out. And now we start at chapter, sorry, chapter 17, verse 10. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. I want you guys to get a picture of this too, because Paul is not a normal dude walking around. He is so imbued with the Holy Spirit that he is creating miracles as he goes. There is a story of a child who falls asleep in one of his sermons. Maybe he wasn't a great preacher, I don't know. The kid falls out of a second-story window and dies, and Paul raises him from the dead. Can you imagine that much power walking around and telling you what the gospel of Jesus Christ is? And how much easier it would to believe it? So he's going and he's preaching to these people and they're pulling it in eagerly. They are listening to every word and then they're going home and going, what did he say, Isaiah 53? Hang on, does that add up? They are taking the time with somebody who has more healing power and more power than anybody we've ever met and they are going through the scriptures, which by the way, wasn't this easy. 
right? They had a set of scrolls in the town. They were having to pull them out. Isaiah wasn't chaptered. <laughs> they had to go through and go, where was that Messiah stuff? But they're taking the time to make sure that he's right because they don't want to be led astray either. So we're going to come to an honest question here, which is, are you in the word often enough to recognize the disparities in teachings? Are you intimate enough with this Bible to catch your own compromise? James says that the scripture should be used as a mirror so that you can see your own reflection and change it. Paul says all scripture is God-breathed and useful in wisdom and rebuking, and that rebuking starts with yourself. Can you catch a 180-degree pivot? Probably. Right? I don't think any of you are going to erect an Asheroth tomorrow and start worshiping Baal. <laughs> I don't think that's in the cards. 180-degree pivot, you can probably catch. How about 90 degrees? 10 degrees? One? How much does it take to get you off of a path? You know, if, if any of you guys are shooters and you like target practice, you know that if you have a 15-yard target, a sight that's a little bit off won't really take you too far. You put that target out to 100 yards, 200 yards, you won't hit paper anymore. You have a lifetime for this. One degree off can take you completely off the path. We have so much access to God's word. And this is something that I don't think most people walk around understanding, but when you read this book and you read about godly people who are doing wonderful things, nobody had all of this. The only person that you will find in the Bible who may have had access to all of it was John who wrote Revelation. Paul's dead before that book's written. You want to talk about King David? <laughs> when he was looking back at the scripture, he didn't get to look at the teachings of Jesus Christ. He didn't have any of what we have. And we have such a complete book of God's words at our fingertips that are available. And we need to use it to make sure that we are living the life that we should be living. So we're going to kind of land this plane on this point uh, if we go back to Joshua. We're going to go to Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Now, Moses has been leading the Israelites uh, for approximately 40 years. <laughs> they get to the banks of the Jordan, and Moses isn't allowed to cross, so they have to turn over leadership. So now Joshua is taking over as the leader of the Israelite people, and they are about to enter the promised land, which will be given to them, but they will be taking it by force. They are not expecting an easy transition. <laughs> they are expecting and knowingly entering into what is going to be a long and bloody military campaign in order to redeem that land from the Canaanites and complete the promise of God to his people. What does God tell Joshua? Does he say commission blacksmiths? Build up more swords and more shields, start building chariots because we need a big army? No. Verse, chapter 1, verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So I want to always rewind on this. 
When he says, uh, this will make your way prosperous and you will have success, he is talking specifically to Joshua, specifically about a military campaign into Canaan. He is not saying, if you read this book and you do what it tells you, you can get that mansion in the Porsche. We are not talking about that kind of success. We are not talking about that kind of prosperity. We are talking about the everlasting life that Jesus Christ has afforded us all. What does he say in here, though? This book of law shall not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. This Hebrew word for meditate means to mumble softly to yourself. How many of you read the Bible out loud to yourself? How many of you engage in a way that engages your eyes as well as your ears in order to engage this more? That's what he's telling you to do. Day and night, every day, examine the scriptures. Examine your life. Figure out if you are on a narrow path and if you have insurance of your own salvation. And the way to do that is to open this book and see what it has to say to you. See what God is telling you through 3,500 years, 40 authors, and 66 books. And see what that can speak into your life today. So before we go into a time of prayer, I need to tell you more about this narrow path. So that you know how to find it and what we're looking for. We serve a God who is holy and just. He will rid his creation of all evil and wrongdoing on a day of judgment, and he wants us to join him. But our sin, through our own decisions, prevents us from being in his presence. His justice requires punishment for every wrong that has occurred, and you and I are no exceptions. But our God is loving, and he is merciful. 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to live a life that required zero punishment and then sacrificed himself as an atonement for all the wrongs that you and I have committed. There is no sin that his death cannot co cover. This gift of his resurrection is offered freely to all who have faith in him by the grace of God so that all who believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So I know we have people in here of varying spiritual walks. We have people watching online and I want to talk to you all essentially individually. If you are in a position where you think this book isn't true, or if you're in a position where you think this book might be true and I want to learn more, or if you are in a position where you say, I think I'm ready to accept the Lord Jesus Christ into my life, to take this book, to live by it, and to understand it, to meditate on it day and night, and to figure out how I can find my own narrow path and find everlasting life, then I would encourage you to come talk to myself or Pastor Carlos. Amen. Let us pray for you, let us discuss with you, and let us fellowship with you. If you are in a spot where you think that you have Jesus in your life, but you're not assured of your own salvation, open this book. Read it today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday. Amanda and I have a, a youth program right now. We're running through the Bible in a year. If you guys want, we can give you that program if you're looking for a way to read through the Bible. If you are in a position where you are assured of your own salvation, open this book, find your own compromise, and get yourself back on the narrow path. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you 
for open ears. And I want to bring your spirit down on these people who are watching, whether online or in person. Open their hearts and open their minds into your word. Let them see what your word can accomplish and let them know the truth of your sacrifice as well as how hard it is to find. I ask that people in here be moved to increase their time with you, to prioritize you and to prioritize being in this word. I ask that your spirit would give us strength and wisdom to forgive other people in the way that you have forgiven us through your son. In your precious name we pray. So, uh, if you think our kids, our youth, are just playing games, you're wrong. <laughs> They're hearing the word. Amen. Let's give them out a hand. Amen. Thank you. Amen. <clears throat> and you said earlier, hashtag, did not see this coming. <laughs> the devil did. But um, I just want to give God praise. The moment I met Matt, he came in. Him and Amanda, um, I could just sense the fire. I could sense the, 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 the longing to want to do more in God's kingdom. And I'm so glad that we listen to God's voice. God is going to do amazing things through you guys' life. And uh, church, let's all stand this morning. Um, hallelujah. If you know any uh, teenagers um, who are struggling with, is God real? Is uh, What is this? Send them our way, uh, send them to Matt, and um, let God uh, work on their hearts. Amen. Let's all bow our heads. If I could have my brother, uh, uh, amen. Uh, Jim Lathrop, if you could please uh, lift your voice and bless this morning's service, we'd appreciate it. Thank you. Be blessed this morning. Thank you.